Amen. Hey, as you turn to that special play, uh, page in the workbook, uh, I'll buy you some time. As I highlight, we are in, once again, world religions, cults, and the occult. And can anybody guess what topic we're on? Rhymes with number five, Buddhism. Number five, Buddhism. That's right, Bobby. And uh, we've already seen as you uh, turn there, just to recap, the first uh, three times we've been looking at these spinoffs of Hinduism. Why? Because that's what Buddhism is. It's a, a spinoff of Hinduism. Okay. We looked at the Baha'i faith, the Jainism, the Zoroastrianism, Hare Krishna's Taoism. That's your big uh, issue with the Star Wars, although there's some other things. We'll get into that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Shintoism, Confucianism, Sikhism, and what I just simply call Western Hinduism, basically Hinduism coming uh, here in the West, their own communities. We saw that with the farm. Remember that? Last time we left off with that. And then, of course, the big one is Buddhism, okay, is where we left off. Now, Buddhism is obviously one of the world's uh, leading religions. I believe it's number four on the list. So, big influence, right? It's not just, again, an option, right? Because there's only one way to heaven. So, this is serious stuff. This is why we got to continue to get equipped because people by the truckloads around our planet are falling for this, which means they're not headed to heaven. They're headed to, it's okay to say the word, hell. Okay, this is a serious, serious issue. All right? So it's a big uh, uh, issue. And as we've been seeing, as we say, well, we'd never buy into this. Well, again, they've been doing a great job, just like with Hinduism we saw, okay, of evangelizing, even here in the West. Okay? And so Buddhism is way beyond just being an Eastern religion, so in, uh, to speak, but it's becoming increasingly popular here in the West. Okay, now we've already seen there's different ways that they're doing that. We've talked about video games, Lord willing, next week. And then the week after that, Lord willing, we're going to get into uh, martial arts and ways to uh, seduce people into this mindset, as well as Star Wars and things of that nature. Uh, but we've already seen, uh, again, video games, you name it, all kinds of stuff they're doing. It. Now, what I want to also highlight a little bit tonight, how are they getting the West snookered into specifically, not just Hinduism, but a spinoff of Hinduism with Buddhism? Well, they're doing it with Hollywood. That's right, with the medium and the stars, right? Because they're now the, uh, uh, Americans' idols, right? Hey, look up to these people. As they're great moral examples. No, right? But hey, a lot of them, they have a, a, a mindset, a religious mindset. And so that comes out oftentimes not only in their verbiage as people look up to them, okay, uh, but uh, also in their movies as well. And they purposely blend it into their movies, the mindset, Okay, we're talking politicians, we're talking uh, media moguls, we're talking news broadcasts, we're talking movies themselves, but we're talking Hollywood stars, okay? Let me give you just a list, okay, you can actually, believe it or not, you can find just about anything, a list of celebrity Buddhists. Okay, these are not all of them, I'm just going to highlight uh, just some of the ones that maybe are more well known, but who is pushing Buddhism in Hollywood? And again, every one of these people are looked upon as an idol, as an icon to a lot of up-and-coming youngsters, young adults, and things of that nature, don't kid yourself if you think that these people and their Buddhist belief do not influence. This is why it's spreading so fast. Uh, Jennifer Aniston is reported to be a Buddhist. Uh, Orlando Bloom, who's he? Yeah, Pirates. Pirates. The little guy. They're okay. Uh, uh, Kate Bosworth. David Bowie. He just passed away. Uh, Jeff Bridges. Jackie Chan. That's a surprise he's a Buddhist. No, Mark. <laughs> Martial arts, but hey, it's not a surprise, right? You get involved in that stuff, but the cultural issue too. John Cleese, you guys remember him? Monty Python, that guy, he's a Buddhist. Uh, Penelope Cruz, uh, Patrick Duffy. How many of you guys in the 80s remember that guy? Dallas, right, remember that? Okay, Patrick Duffy. Uh, uh, Boy George, Richard Gere. Yeah, he's a big-time Buddhist. In fact, a lot of his movies have that mindset. 
In fact, I don't, if you guys ever want to test, how many, guys, how many men in here think that you are one of those guys you'll never cry in your life? Nobody can make you cry. Nobody has the power to make you tear. I'll tell you what, there's this movie out there that he made. It's called Hachi, right? And if you ever want to get back at somebody, in a good way, I guess, and make them cry when they said they'll never cry. Man, that's the most depressing one. But there's a lot of Buddhist uh, principles, believe it or not, loyalty and things of that nature that's embedded into that movie and uh, with the dog. But wait, I don't want to spoil it for you. But whatever. Anyway, so the Richard Gere, uh, Herbie Hancock. Huh? Is that song going through your head yet? Yeah, whatever, you youngsters, go to YouTube. Uh, move on. Herbie Hancock. Uh, Goldie Hawn, a Buddhist. Kate Hudson. Uh, Phil Jackson of the Lakers, remember? You know, the Zen, that was his trick to, you know, be so good at what he did with the coaching with basketball. Angelina Jolie, Steve Jobs, passed away recently. Katie Lang, a Canadian singer. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Courtney Love, George Lucas. Wow, that's a surprise that he made it on the list. No, it's not, uh, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, okay? Alanis Morissette, Sarah Jessica Parker, Brad Pitt, okay? Well, his wife is Buddhist too. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Steven Seagal. Man, why would he get into that? Well, what's he known for? Martial arts. So what do you think he's going to lean? I'm telling you, it influences people. Uh, Sting, Oliver Stone, Sharon Stone, George uh, Taki, that Sulu guy on Star Trek. Okay. Uma Thurman, Tina Turner, Naomi Watts, Dennis Weaver, Tiger Woods uh, is on the list. It was supposed to be a Buddhist, uh, according to this list. And Steve Wynn, uh, here, the big mogul here in, La in Las Vegas, is supposed to be a Buddhist as well. But one of the things about uh, the reason why it's so popular, again, with the media and, and is here in the West is, of course, the media and the Hollywood elites and all that stuff, uh, but also because it is uh, uh, Buddhism, like Hinduism, is adaptable. And they literally custom tailor this to the Western mindset so that everybody can get to be a part of it. Listen to this. It was only 150 years ago that there was virtually no knowledge of Buddhism in the West, but during the 19th century, this has changed dramatically, and the Buddhist tradition has succeeded in generating great interest and attracting large numbers of Westerners with their ideas and lifestyle. Now, although few Westerners uh, actually become members, if you will, of the Buddhist religion, they don't go right next door, put on the orange robes, whatever, and start walking around doing the chanting, all that other stuff, as we see with the Buddhist monks. Okay, they may not do that, Okay, but they literally adopt the Buddhist teachings in their lives. Now, the terms that they have is like these people would be considered an unofficial Buddhist, okay, or an anon anonymous Buddhist. But you're still basically, you may not go to the Buddhist temple, but you are, in fact, in reality, uh, a Buddhist, okay? Uh, attracted to this level of Buddhism, there's those who've been become, now you're saying, well, why would they do this? Why would they? Once again, listen to this common thread, just like with Hinduism, just like with New Age just like all the other paths out there. They become, quote, disillusioned with their culture and religious roots. Can I translate that for you? The church. What have we been doing? We're too busy beating each other up. We're too busy playing games. We're too busy preaching a bunch of fluff. People don't even believe what they say they believe, and they can't even defend what they believe, why they believe. And so they're going like, you've got to be kidding me, and they go elsewhere, Right? It's because of that. Okay, once again, the outcome results in a wide conglomeration of synchronous religious ideals. Okay, so in other words, it's just they're going out there and it's like, I'm just going to take a piece of this, a piece of that, and a lot of them gravitate towards Buddhism. Now, it's again because you can adapt Buddhism to just about anything you want. Uh, they have many diverse forms, teachings, techniques, and they're built to accommodate the needs of any individual. Okay, even an atheist. We'll see that in a second. 
Uh, some may be attracted to the form of Buddhism, right? That's more mystically orientated. Uh, the Buddhism with large golden statues and miraculous stories, right? If you watch some of the Kung Fu movies, there's the monkey god, and the guys are flying through the air, and all the you know, people like that stuff, right? So there's a form of Buddhism that will meet that kind of charismatic need, if you will. Okay. Others are attracted to more the Tibetan tradition. This is the Dalai Lama. We'll get to that in just a second. With his emphasis on devotion and the spiritual and mystical elements of Buddhism. Right? So there's different facets of it that people say, oh, I like this. Oh, I'll go this route. Ooh. So you can accommodate and pull people in different ones. Now, the big word that's out there that people use all the time, speaking of uh, the Lakers coach, is the word Zen. Right? Have you guys heard that? Zen, everything. It's almost like yoga. Remember we saw with yoga? It's hot yoga. It's yoga peanut butter. It's heavy metal yoga. It's yoga this, yoga. Have you noticed that? Yoga things are everywhere. Right? It's the same thing with this Zen. Now, Zen is a particular school of Buddhism, okay? And they, uh, they value the meditative and the intuition to achieve self-realization. So basically what they promote is like you can basically have self-awareness through meditation, this intuition. You can discover all that you need, fulfillment in life, etc. blah, blah, blah. Uh, through this Zen principle, meditates, reflection, things of that nature. Now, what's the Bible say? Where do we get direction in life? God and the Bible, his word, right? Where do we get fulfillment in life? God and the Bible, it's the same kind of thing, right? And we seek direction from him, right? Not from your own self, okay? We seek it uh, outside of ourselves. But to show you how this whole Zen concept, and again, this is Buddhism, right? It's just uh, snookering people in on a multitude of, just like with yoga, right? It's even coming into churches and that stuff, right? Yoga, again, meaning to yoke with the Hindu deities. You can't separate the physical from the spiritual. We've been over that tons of times already, so I don't want to belabor that. Okay, but listen to how many times you could just, Zen is everywhere, right? Listen to it. Uh, it, it adapts itself under just about any arena you can think of. And these are actual book titles. It's not just Zen, but that's right. It's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. What? If you work on motorcycles, they'll pull you in, right? Uh, another one's called Zen and Creative Management. Ah, once again, we saw they're coming into the business sector to get you pulled into Buddhism, right? Uh, Zen and the Art of Archery. Leave nobody out of this thing, I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> what? Okay, other topics uh, originating from Zen include Judo, again, martial arts, uh, Kindu or, or Kindo uh, fencing, and uh, Ikebana, that's a uh, flower arrangement, so... Anybody's going to get involved in this. But basically, it's like a yoga thing. They change the title. They switch it up a little bit, dress it up in different clothes, just another angle to grab somebody in a different interest group, right? So this is why a lot of it's spreading, not only with the media and the Hollywood and the games and all this stuff, but it's, it's custom-tailored to meet all kinds of different needs, right? And pull people in like a spider in its web. Now, in Europe, the way it started to come over here, just so you, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, and hopefully you are, because I got it in my nose. Uh, why it came over here to America was basically Europe, on purpose, built organization, Buddhist organizations, to start to influence the West, to literally tweak Buddhism to fit the Western mindset. In 1967, the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order was founded in Britain to do just that, uh, to bring Buddhism to the Western world, uh, to uh, attract them and mold Buddhism to cater to their needs, offering things such as, once again, Yoga, as we saw, is very important to not only the Hindu, but also to the Buddhists. Uh, tai Chi, once again, martial arts, we'll get into that later. A massage, a lot of massage therapy and things of that nature. 
another way to do that. Communication exercises and interest in the arts period. Then in the 70s and the 80s, another spinoff, the Nichiren Buddhism, and that began to attract the Western mindset because with this particular Buddhism, they gave you promises and guarantees, if you do what they say to do, that you will have a successful and happy life for those who practice it, right? So again, you put in their mindset, you can see why people get snookered into this, right? Because what's the scripture say? That God has put eternity in Ecclesiastes in the hearts of men, right? And we, 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 we seek, we wonder, there's got to be more to life, right? And, you know, that's why they say even an atheist, there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? You'll be thinking about God, right? And if you truly didn't believe in a God, then why don't you just let us do our own little illusion? Why do you have to fight against it so much if you don't believe in it? Right? But deep down inside, everybody knows that there's a God. There's got to be more to life than this. Are you kidding me? I didn't come from an ape and all that stuff. Well, guess what? If the church lets you down, they're going to go somewhere else. Okay, and that's what's happening, okay? Now, I mentioned you said uh, anybody can go along with Buddhism, including this group, believe it or not. And that's atheism, okay? And that's because we're going to see, Lord willing, tonight, that the premise of a uh, uh, Buddhism really is atheism. So this is really, believe it or not, for the atheist who likes religion but doesn't believe in God, right up your alley. Right up your alley, because it's all about self, humanism. You could do it. It's all you to make you feel good. You don't need God to feel religious. This meets the need, okay? Buddhism offers a, a, pray, a place for those who are, uh, who've rejected a belief in God, but still kind of want to feel religious. Have you met people like that? Right? They feel religious, okay? Uh, and uh, the Dalai Lama of the Tibetan uh, tradition observed how those in the West who do not have any interest... Uh, 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 have an interest in religion, but they're atheistic, they're attracted to Buddhism because it too is a kind of atheism and a form of humanism, okay? Another thing that they snooker people into is not only with the yoga and the zen this, zen that, you name it, whatever, zen, 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 okay, uh, is with uh, meditation. And again, the Buddhists sell meditation as a form of stress relief, right? Crazy rat race system, right? Huh? You need something. So they sell it too. That's just like Hinduism. They'll pull you into it. Uh, nirvana, they have an ultimate goal, as we're going to see, is nirvana, which is different than the Hindu version. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. And uh, basically, that's attractive to Westerners because nirvana becomes a goal. Okay, so if I'm going to do all this religious stuff, if I'm going to meditate, and I'm going to follow, you know, the four noble truths and the eightfold path, we'll get to that in a second, and all these things you say I need to do to escape suffering, there better be a goal in mine. Well, that's what this nirvana meets, that need. It's, it's, I'm going somewhere with this, right? Okay, now as we saw, or as we're going to see with the Buddhist version, ain't no place you want to go. How's that for good grammar? Okay, because <laughs> it's, wow. Okay, but also ethics, right? Have you ever met somebody that feels that, hey, I'm a pretty good person? And they don't need God. Are you on 51% good, but 49? Yeah, I'm only human, right? But if you know some people that even they're attracted to, they're not born again, but they're attracted to Christianity because they like the Christian moral ethic. A lot of people are like that. And that's why we do, you know, with Tom, and we set up in place here at Sunrise, is we got a grilling session. Now, only God knows a heart, right? And uh, we got to work with what people voice, right? But we try our best to not just, like, dunk anybody, uh, in a baptism, at least try to do our best. To, okay, do you really understand what you're doing, right? Because you're not saved by baptism, you're a, a religious work. You're not saved by coming to church service, a religious work. You're not saved by becoming a member of a church, religious work. You're only saved, are you, who and what are you really trusting in on? Right? But be why? And we have to because there's a lot of people who think that going to a church service, being baptized, doing religious deeds, you know, trying to follow the ethic, you know, the Ten Commandments, that's a pretty good thing. That doesn't save you. Ten Commandments, none of us can keep it, myself included. 
They were not to earn our way to heaven. They were to show our inability to get to heaven, to expose our need for a savior. But Buddhism has a system of ethics. So if somebody's turned off by the church, they're going to go somewhere. Hey, look, this, this might lead to a moral life. And so people get sucked into that uh, as well. And again, uh, Buddhism, we're going to see, it's all about escaping suffering. Everybody wants to escape pain, right? Can't even have a headache. Let's get rid of that, right? And, uh, and so, Buddha, oh, you do this, she'll give you free from all that. So that's kind of like their panacea. And Buddhism is, here's the buzzword that we're seeing today, is very tolerant. Huh? Isn't that the buzzword today? You need to be tolerant, right? How dare you say that your way is the only way? Well, it's not my way, it's Jesus. He said it, John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. I didn't say that, so don't call me intolerant. You, and I don't recommend you say that to Jesus either. But that's really what you're doing, right? Okay, and, uh, but they're very tolerant. The only requirement is necessary is that a person must believe that it is possible for one's personality to change and that things can be seen differently. Kind of like Hinduism. Hey, we got 330 million gods. What's one more? Right? It's kind of the same mentality. So that's why people get so seduced into this in a multitude of angles, just like with Hindus. Now, they have, if you will, to use this term, they have their rock star, right? Buddhism's got their rock star, okay? And that is the guy named Dalai Lama, right? Now, that's really not his name. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's more of a title. But Buddhism, again, is the fourth uh, world's largest religion made up of different uh, philosophies and schools. And one of these is Tibetan Buddhism, okay? This is just a, a section of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, Tibetan Buddhism is actually a religion in exile. It was forced from its homeland when Tibet was conquered by the Chinese. Now, the leader of the Tibetan Buddhism, of course, is Dalai Lama. When you see him, he's not just a Buddhist, he's a Tibetan Buddhist. Okay? Uh, he's lived in exile in India ever since he fled the Chinese occupation of Tibet in 1959. Now, partly because of the worldwide prominence of Dalai Lama, most people have heard about, guess what? He gets to go around the whole world, just like the Pope, right? He gets to go around the whole world. He speaks over here in the United States all the time, universities, you name it. He's on TV shows. He's on Oprah Wan Kenobi, uh, Oprah's show, whatever, right? Big New Ager. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Uh, but, right, he's on all those shows, right? And so guess what? What's he, he's, he's an advertisement of face for Buddhism, specifically uh, Tibetan Buddhists, okay? And, uh, but anyway, but the Tibetan Buddhist focuses on its monks. Now, the name that they have for their monks is this right here, Lama. Lama is what they call their monks, okay? And uh, the monk, though, literally Lama, I think it's Lama or something in the Sanskrit or something, but uh, it is uh, actually the word for guru, right? So the Dalai Lama is the Dalai guru. What's a guru? Guru is a Hindu term, right? Remember, Buddhism is a spinoff of Hinduism. So he's, he's like the guru guy, okay? But the Lamas, the monks, Little gurus, right? He's the chief guru, right? Uh, they use different meditation techniques, which include what is called the mandalas. How many of you guys remember the mandala? That was that thing that's being sold, right? Sam brought this out uh, at Hobby Lobby and other places. The coloring book, right? The coloring books, mm, have a mystical experience doing the mandala wheel, right? The prayer wheel and all that stuff. So they use that same kind of thing, uh, different techniques. And uh, the Dalai Lama is the highest lama. Now, what's interesting is that when the Dalai Lama dies, okay, and again, that's not his name. We'll get to that in a second. This is just the title. He's just like the big guy representation, okay? The Tibetan Buddhists believe that he is reborn, okay? So when the previous Dalai Lama dies, that uh, he's reborn as an infant, 
and the officials of the religion searched for the child who's supposed to bear the distinguishing mark, and when he is discovered, he becomes the new Dalai Lama. Right? So he's got some. So if you guys got a tattoo or birthmark, you better cover it up now. Right? In case this guy croaks. Right? Get sucked into the. No. Whatever, but that's what it means, okay? Now, again, Dale, Dale, you think, what's, what's this Dale? That's, that's his first, that's no, it's not his first name. Again, this is a title. He's the guru. He's the chief guru. Now, Dale, I think it's from the Tibetan word, means ocean. It's supposed to be like ocean of compassion or the peaceful man, right? So this is the ocean of compassion guru. That's, that's what the title uh, is supposed to be, the representation of Tibetan Buddhism, okay? Now, let's get down to his real name, Okay? It's Earl Smith. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they had to spice it up, right? <laughs> but it's almost like that. Listen to this. The current Dalai Lama is named is Tenzin Gyatsal. Huh? That's still not his real name because that's what was given to him. Okay. His real name is Lamo Thondup. Now you know why they changed it. No, <laughs> Lamo Thondup. Wow. He was born in 1935. Now listen, he was discovered in 1937. What do you mean discovered? Well, what would you say? When the previous Dalai Lama dies, what do they do? They go search for a child that's got some sort of mark on him. So apparently he had some sort of mark on him. When he was two years old, they found him, and he's been that guy. He's the 14th Dalai Lama. Okay, represented that. Uh, he was given that name. He now bears Tenzin Gyatso, and he became the political head of Tibet in 1950, and then left when the Chinese took over, etc. blah, blah, blah. 1989, this guy wins the Nobel Peace Prize. So he's been of world influence, spreading this for quite some time. Most Buddhists, though, uh, consider Jesus to be just an enlightened master, uh, not the Son of God. In fact, during the interview in Christianity Today, the Dalai Lama said, listen, that Jesus had lived previous lives, and his purpose was to teach a message of tolerance and compassion, and to help people become better human beings. So, which right there shows that uh, the Dalai Lama is, in fact, not enlightened. Okay, uh, you got it wrong, pal. Okay, but that's basically, again, uh, why a lot of people get influenced. Because this is basically, I just call him the rock star. He's basically the face, he goes around the whole world. So, on top of everything else, no wonder Buddhism and its adaptability and how they just custom tailor to all different kinds of needs is spreading so rapidly. Especially, again, with the Zen thing. Uh, to me, that's very similar to Hinduism and yoga. People get sucked in. With yoga this, yoga, yoga, zen's the same thing. Zen that, zen, 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 zen. Okay, now, let's get into the workbook. What, no applause? Thank you, thank you. That's actually for you guys, uh, not me. I can't believe it took waiting four weeks. But anyway, that's right. Uh, Buddhism, there it is. The founder of Buddhism is this guy, Siddhartha Gautama. And Gautama was born around 560 B.C. into the uh, ruler warrior class. Okay, of Hinduism in northern India near modern Nepal. His parents provide their son with a life of what? Luxury. Okay, this guy, he was an extremely well-to-do family kid, rich kid, rich, rich kid. Okay, and he was intentionally sheltered from the world's suffering. So basically his parents kept him from seeing a bunch of bad stuff. I mean, just pretty much anything negative. And then when he escaped, we're going to see in a second, oh, shocked him. Big time, okay? Let's keep looking. So, now, here's what happened. So, he's sheltered his whole life. He's a rich kid, hand and foot, everything's done for him, and he's nothing but good. Life is just incredible. He's living this little bubble, right? Well, in his 20s, uh, Gautama grew dissatisfied with his life of luxury because it's pretty rough having grapes fed to you. Yeah, apparently. Anyway, so he got tired of that. So, he escaped this life of seclusion and saw, listen, the four passing sights. 
Doesn't that sound spiritual? Well, here's what it was. Right. Uh, number one, uh, he saw, he, so he escaped. He literally got out of his little bubble and he took off. Right? And the first thing he saw was, number one, an old man. Remember, this guy's sheltered. They kept him from everything. And he's like, cool. Right? And uh, I'm not looking at anybody. So anyway, uh, a person suffering from disease. He ran, oh, what's going on here? He's never seen this before in his life. Right? Okay. The, the third one, he saw a dead man. Whoa, never saw somebody ever die before. And then the fourth one, he saw an aesthetic monk, right? Guy basically doing without deprivation, right? Spiritual and all that stuff. So these are the four things he saw when he escaped his luxury, life of luxury, okay? So here's what he did. He came back. He rejected the more ancient theistic beliefs of Hinduism, okay? Because of the difficulty he had over reconciling is your first blank there. Can you believe that? The first blank is accomplished. That's right. Reconciling the reality of suffering, judgment, and evil with the existence of a good and holy God. This is why on Sundays I'm excited to be in this topic once again on this aspect of God's character, the sovereignty of God. And what are we dealing with that aspect? The issue of suffering and evil. Where did it come from? How did it get started? Who's responsible for it? Why is it still going on? Did, hasn't God done anything? Is he going to do anything? Why, why does God allow us to suffer and things of that nature? Because guess what? This guy back in 560 BC, he had a major problem with this. If God is so good and loving and sovereign, why is there evil and suffering? It's still a question for today. That's why I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, because we need to get equipped, because it isn't just this guy, our whole world. That's a major, it's one of the top three skeptical questions that typically we get asked as Christians, whether you realize it or not. If God is real, if he is loving, if he is sovereign, why is there evil and suffering? But that was this guy's big hang-up. Now, what you're going to see is he twisted because of this awe, oh, this shock, and, and he couldn't reconcile, wait a second, how could there be disease and dead people and, and all this horrible stuff, and, and yet Hinduism says all these gods and deities are up there, and, and yet all this is going on. And he rejected it, okay? And he came up with Buddhism, which, again, is good, you're going to see is kind of an atheistic. So it's basically trying to make Hinduism and take the, the trappings of karma and meditation and all the, all the religious stuff, but we don't need a deity because of his experience, right? So at 29, he renounced his privileged life and began a search for enlightenment through aestheticism. Now, he hasn't arrived yet at, I've come up with Buddhism, the atheist Hindu version, if you will, right? He, he's reacting against this life of luxury, right, based on these sites. And, he, and he, it, he, he's starting to gravitate towards this fourth one. Well, maybe, maybe that one guy, the fourth guy I saw of the four sites, maybe he's got it right. Maybe I just need to go live a life of the complete opposite of luxury. I need to deny myself. I need to become an aesthetic. I need to go off in the hills and eat rocks and stuff of that nature, right? right? And so, so that's what he tries. So he goes through that after about six years of doing this and severe asceticism, which almost killed him, okay? He came close to death and realized, man, this is a waste of time. I can go down the street and get a burger, right? Or something, I don't know, whatever. He's like, are you kidding? This ain't working, right? Another. So then he developed the principle of what he called the middle path. Right? Why do you think he called it that? Because we're going to see it's basically took Hinduism and this, and he says, nope, it's not going to be a life of complete luxury as my parents raised me, and it ain't going to be this for six years. I just about killed myself of self-denial. Somewhere right about here, hence the middle path. Right? Between two extremes, the aestheticism and the indulgence, he practiced deep meditation, and during one of these meditations under a fig tree, it's reported, in 525 B.C., he supposedly reached a state of enlightenment or nirvana. Really? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. He reached the state of nirvana, okay, and became the Buddha. 
Well, what a neat term. It means enlightened one. But as we saw, he didn't, he's not the first one that came up with that. As we saw in the writings of the Hindu with the, the Vedas and stuff back there, uh, that term was already used. So even the Buddha from Buddhism, it's not a new term. It's, it's been in Hinduism. So again, remember, we're seeing Buddhism is a spinoff of Hinduism that we saw for six weeks. All right, let's continue on. So he became enlightened, right? And uh, then from out of that experience, uh, he proclaimed his message. Basically, we're going to break it down. Here in a second, his basically way of life that you can live. And the whole premise of Buddhism is basically to escape suffering. Right? Because why? Because that's what he encountered. He lived in this luxury bubble, and he saw, ah, right? And he tried to go self-denial. He says, uh-uh, there's got to be a middle path to escape suffering, and I don't need some deity because I can't reconcile this issue. Why is there all this evil and suffering? Right? So that's basically what he did. But he proclaimed his message until he died of food poisoning, uh, or some reports say it was also a, a, a bowel obstruction at the age of 80. And you guys know what he ate? I didn't even have to say it, did I? Yeah, I don't even know what it was, but I'm glad you guys said that. Uh, but anyway, I'm assuming that's what it was, but something got him. Right, but we know what it is. But anyway, Buddhism is an impersonal, is your next blank there, an impersonal religion of self-perfection. Again, it's another works-based system. Right? You can do it yourself. You can just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need God. You can, just, you can feel religious and get there on your own. Okay, is what it basically is. Uh, the end of, uh, of which is death or literally extinction, not life. This isn't much different than some people who falsely teach uh, the doctrine of annihilation. That when a person dies, they're, oh, hell's not really hell. You just poof, go out of existence. You cease to be. Right? Well, and that's kind of what these, which is a lie. Okay, the Bible doesn't, it says, you know, eternal, those who went away in the same verse, uh, Matthew 25, those who went away, sheep and goats, those who went away to eternal life, the others went to eternal punishment. Same verse. How long is eternal life? Do you cease to be in heaven? No. You don't cease to be in hell. Hell's real. Lasts forever. Plus, we know it is also based on the aspect of the false prophet and the Antichrist. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus comes back, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, right? And then later, it mentions them again, a thousand years later, at the end of the millennial kingdom, and it says where the beast and the false prophet are. So they've been in there for a thousand years, still suffering. They didn't go poof and annihilate. Right? That's just, anyway. But this is basically his version, right? He's got to get away with God. But his, and this is why his idea of nirvana isn't just becoming one with the nothingness, right? It's literally poof. And that's his version of peace, right? Again, it's, he's tweaking Hinduism, Based on his experience, he can't reconcile suffering. I'm going to come away how to be free of suffering here on earth, and then when I die, I'm free of suffering technically because I go poof, all because he couldn't reconcile it. Okay? Again, the importance why you and I need to be able to give that answer. Now, here's what he basically came up to. The basic beliefs is called the four noble truths and the eight noble uh, eight noble uh, eightfold path. Okay? Now, the four noble truths go as such. Life is full of suffering. That took a long time to figure that one out. <laughs> Sorry. And number two, uh, suffering is caused by cravings or desires, okay, uh, the desire for thirst or pleasure, right? So then he decided this. Well, how am I going to get, uh, that's where it supposedly all comes from because I keep desiring stuff and I don't get my desires, so I suffer, right? So number three, he says, well, then suffering can be overcome by eliminating desire. Hmm. Let's think the deep thought tonight, Reed. Wait a second. 
If one is told in Buddhism to change his desire, that means you have to have the desire to change your desire. When you desire to get rid of your desires, you're still desiring something. Hello? You can't escape it, right? The whole premise is crazy. It's illogical. It's like those people say, oh, I don't believe in absolutes. Really? You just made an absolute statement that there are no absolutes. You absolutely sure about that? <laughs> Same kind of thing, right? So, so your whole premise right now is faulty. You have to desire to get rid of your desires. Okay, number four. So here's, here's the deal. So to stop having these desires, right? You gotta have your methodology because every works-based religion, you gotta have the methodology. To stop having these desires or cravings comes by following the middle path, which is delineated in these eight things. Here it is. Here's your eight-step way to earn your way to nirvana, which turns into nothing. Okay, so here it is. Uh, the eightfold path, uh, here's how you get rid of it. Uh, number one, wisdom. It's broken down into three categories, wisdom, ethical conduct, and mental development. Number one, you have, you have to have the right view. Well, of course, guess whose view you got to have? His. Okay. Number two, you got to have the right intention. you got to decide to follow and observe these. So you got to be committed to this thing. You know, they got to buy into his system and give him honor, but you gotta, you got to say, okay, I'm going to follow. Now, number three, and this is where it really breaks down, right, according to the Scripture, Number three, if you're going to avoid and achieve nirvana and this is your workspace system, you have to have the right speech. What's the problem with that? I can't, I can't even do that myself with grammar. My grammar, no good, bad, right? <laughs> but even just that, if you're, if you're meaning like I'm not saying anything bad, what's the Bible say, uh, uh, James? How, can anybody tame the tongue? No? No, that thing, are you kidding me? You can't tame that, baby, right? The Spirit of God can. But if you're doing this all on your own, you can't. There's no, no way. No way. So right there, you're doomed. You're never going to, you not, stop. Might as well try something else because this ain't going to work. Number two, uh, four, right action or deeds. So you got to live a perfect life. Why don't you go over and beat your head against the wall? Right? Are you kidding me? What? what what's the scripture say? No one is righteous. No, not one. Not even those who practice Buddhism. Okay. Number five, right livelihood. So again, your life's got to be perfect. Anybody have a perfect life? Praise God, didn't lie. Okay, why? Because what's the scripture say? All have sinned, including Buddhists, including Buddha, okay, and fall short of the glory of God. So right there in the very middle of this, the whole thing's flawed. It, you're doomed. <laughs> Your methodology, it's not going to happen. Okay, and number six, uh, the, now you get into the mental aspect, you have to have the right effort, okay? The use of mental energy to attain wholesome states, self-discipline, honesty, benevolence, and kindness, okay? Uh, number seven, right mindfulness. You need to observe and control the way our thoughts go. Yeah, have fun with that. All right? Now, there, there is, the scripture says, and again, by the Spirit of God, Christian, we should take heart. We don't have to be a slave to that. By the Spirit of God, and that only happens when you're a true born-again Christian. That's what makes us different than anybody else on the planet. Only the born-again Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And we have within us the Spirit of Christ the same power that raised Christ from the... He's within us. And he says that we can bring every thought captive and obedient to Christ. I didn't say that. He did. So there's hope. So the Christian says, no, you can't on your own. The good news is, in Christ, yes, you can. But he said, this is all about self. You can do it. 
It's doomed. It's doomed all the way through. And, of course, right concentration, meditation. You've got to throw that thing in there. Now, Buddha carried over some beliefs from Hinduism. We saw that last week, including karma and reincarnation. The goal of the Buddhists is to break out of the cycle of reincarnation by entering a permanent state of nirvana. Okay? And, again, his version is different uh, than the other. We'll get to that in a second. But wait a second. So if Buddha, remember we read earlier, uh, he came up, he, the whole reason why he came up with this uh, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path is because there was a point when he was meditating and he, I guess we take his word for it, uh, achieved this state of nirvana and became an enlightened one. He, he achieved nothingness. Well, wait a second. If you achieve, achieve nothingness, then what are you really sharing with us? Is it really something? Or is it a bunch of nothing? <laughs> I'm just, I mean, you stop and think about it. Like, are you serious? Right? The whole goal is to achieve nothing, but you supposedly achieved nothing and came back and now you give us something? It's illogical. The final liberation, though, is when the Buddhist becomes one with the impersonal. Right? Again, this is more of an atheistic version. All personality and awareness is lost. And the Buddhist merges into nothingness. Buddha taught at this point that uh, one is at peace. So that's your version of peace. You just cease to be. That ain't peace. That is not peace. That's annihilation. Okay. The goal of life is to achieve this state of nirvana whereby desire ceases. But again, you got a desire to get rid of the desire, which self-defeats itself. And then suffering is somehow eliminated. Well, what do we have in the scripture? First of all, God gives us the answer for evil and suffering. He's not the author of evil and suffering. The good news, he's done all kinds of things about evil and suffering. That's what we saw in the last couple of weeks and Sundays, if you recall. Okay, he's done some great things. He's judged it. He put a limit on it. Okay, one day he's going to put it into it. It's not going to go on forever. And by the way, through Jesus Christ, he's made a way out of it. Yay! Right? You don't get any of that with this stuff. Okay, and number two, he also, in the meantime, even though, as we saw last time, as a Christian, we are going to suffer, he makes beauty out of our pain. He does something fantastic for it. He takes the evil, which he doesn't condone. He's so powerful. He takes what other people mean for evil and bad stuff. He'll flip it around for good, right? right? And we see that over and over again in the scripture. And all the while, guess what? We retain our personality. We don't poof, cease to be, okay? Radically, radically uh, different. Let's continue on. Furthermore, the Buddha rejected uh, subservience to a supreme God in the denial of uh, denied belief in the eternal self. Again, because you don't have an eternal soul because you can just go poop. Okay? Now, his concept of karma, okay, has been misunderstood because, he went, well, wait a second, karma believes that you keep coming back in another life, right? But you just said we don't, we're not an eternal soul. Well, listen to how he dances around this. He, it's kind of interesting. Okay, he certainly believed that karma, it's your next blank there, karma determines the kind of rebirth a person experiences according to past merit. Right? Uh, Buddha, however, did not believe that there is a self or soul that is reborn. Instead, he taught that at birth there is a rearrangement of the elements of a person's identity, which are called the self, much as a chariot is the name for a certain grouping of parts that can be rearranged to be something else while still comprising the same parts. Wow. Put the chicken down, dude. <laughs> what are you, what are you, you're just scraping. Just because, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. I don't know the guy's heart. Obviously, he's been dead for a long time. What are you, mad at God or something? You're just so mad. You're so disgruntled because nobody's giving you an answer on evil and suffering. I'm telling you, Christian, we've got to get equipped on this issue because this is a huge stumbling block for the non-Christian. And so you, do, you, you come up with anything. I'm going to maintain religion 
and I'm going to make my own way there, and I'm going to get rid of God. Does it sound like people today? Right? All because they think God is some sort of ogre because they have never been equipped with this issue on evil and suffering. So basically, that's how he gets around it. So he maintains Hinduism, karma, reincarnation, but his version is that's not really you. It's basically pieces of you. Okay, and this is really, this is how they, I forget the term, Atman or something like that. It's basically pieces of you that get rearranged into something else. So it's really not you. So that's, that's, that's his version of it, okay? And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, anyway, so Buddha also defined nirvana differently than the Brahmins, okay? So that's, that's his version of karma, reincarnation, coming back again, but it's really not you, okay? Pieces of you. Okay, he, his uh, nirvana was differently than the Brahmins, the Hindu version. Uh, whereas in Brahmanism, nirvana or moksha uh, is attained with the individual soul becomes uh, one with the universal soul. Buddha held that the nirvana is actually the termination of rebirth. Right. So when you achieve this state, you cease to co- you cease to come back. Any piece of you ceases to come back. Any piece of a piece of a piece of a piece of you. Right? That's really not you because you do, nothing, it's, you're done. And again, that's his version of peace. Right? So he maintained nirvana, but he tweaked it, same thing with karma. And that's the identity of the individual, again, is extinguished. Now, again, no wonder atheists are attracted to this. Right? Because it's just like what an atheist says. When you die, you what? You're extinguished. You're done. So for an atheist who wants to feel religious, yet still, no. I don't believe in God. Custom tailored. That's why you see a lot. Of, a lot of people, folks in Hollywood who are into this are also atheists. But you can see why once you understand the belief system. Okay, uh, but let's continue on. Uh, one way to distinguish classical Hindu teaching from Buddhist teaching on this subject is to present the traditional metaphors taught in these two religions in describing nirvana symbolically in classical Hinduism. The individual self is like the raindrop that falls into the ocean, becoming one with the universal soul. But in describing nirvana in Buddhism, the identity of a person is like a candle flame that is simply blown out. Right? So that's how he tweaked it to get rid of this idea. So therefore, Buddha was, and here's your blank, atheist. And it might sound weird that there's actually atheist religions on the planet, but that's what Buddhism basically is. Buddha was an atheist. He did not believe in God, and he felt that the very concept of God or God's was holding people bound to this physical world of karma, and here it is again, suffering, right? Almost sound like what Freud said, right? As we saw with Freud and Jung and secular psychology, a lot of uh, occult stuff, mindset going on back in those days, still today being presented there, unfortunately, and, but Freud's big uh, issue was that the uh, religion, Christianity, uh, was an idea made up by our forefathers just to cope with life, right? And we need to get rid of that. We need to focus on self. We need to focus on right now. And, and we need to go into the past and, and find something to blame for all your problems. And wow, okay? But Buddha's the same thing. Hey, I, I gotta, I'm going to find a way to get rid of God because everybody thinking that there's a God, 330 million God. And again, he's coming out of Hinduism, which is not true, by the way, but that's how he grew up, Right? He's thinking that this is aiding in the suffering. So I've got to find a way to keep the elements of it, but get rid of the, the deity aspect. So that's what he did. So anyway, he continues on. He, what is so interesting about all this is how idolatry, listen, which Buddha condemned, has become such a major part of Buddhism with its many shrines and statues of Buddha, the very one who loathed these things. Isn't that funny? Right? I've often wondered why, I remember an instructor used to bring this up, 
Uh, why do you think that God, in his sovereignty, uh, worked it out that we do not have on record an actual artist's rendition, a stone carving, a wood carving of Jesus? You know why? That's exactly what we would do, wouldn't it? We would end up worshiping that as an icon. Now, Eastern Orthodox, when they split with the Roman Catholic Church, the Great Schism, it was called, back in the day, uh, that was one of the big issues what they split over. Because the East, Eastern Orthodox, they had all these icons, right, from the early church. It was kind of, kind of I know it was very painful uh, to, to deal with that. But basically, uh, I don't have much time, but uh, basically, uh, they, would, uh, they didn't have coloring books. They didn't have uh, flannel graphs. They didn't have PowerPoint, right? And so how they would teach biblical stories is they, back in the day in the early church is they would carve them on wood, have these wood carvings, like depicting the disciples with the, the, the net with the fish, right? Or another scene of Jesus and the cross, whatever. And that's, they would, that was their kind of like flannel graph of the day, these wood carvings that they carved. Well, over time, people began to worship these early relics, as they were called, and things of that nature, and that's all it was. It'd be like somebody say, wow, I, f- I, I found this world religions cult in the occult book. Whoa, Tom, oh, you know, and start to worship it. And it's like, what? Right? It's crazy, but that's basically all it was. And that was one of the big reasons for the split, uh, as well as some other things, okay? Uh, but this is what they do. And I, I really think that's why we don't have any pieces of the cross, even though, the, like, the Catholic Church would say. Um, and uh, the Catholic Church does teach this, and they're, they're called relics. And uh, back in the day, in, during the Reformation, this is why some of the uh, reformers reacted not only uh, to uh, indulgences, uh, but what the Catholic Church would do is they would bring out these relics and you had to pay. It's like a little carnival thing. You had to pay, okay, uh, when they would come to town to see these relics, right? Uh, and then they would use the money to proceeds to build the cathedrals. They would also come into town and they would literally itemize sins. This is on record, folks. And they still do it today, by the way, and people don't believe it, okay? That, that you can have certain sins, you pay a certain amount of cash, you'll be absolved of that sin. The Catholic Church says they can, you, hey, if you slept with a prostitute, $2.50. You give us two, I'm not kidding you, $2.50. And that's what Martin Luther reacted against. Are you kidding me? You can't pay to have your sins absolved and things of nature. But it was also, again, this icon issue. And the Catholic Church, what they did, because they, they, they needed money for the cathedral. So they would go in the masses who didn't know the scripture, and they deliberately kept the scripture in Latin so people couldn't even read it which now the Western language is now by and large English. So even if you can get a copy of the Bible, which most people couldn't, because very expensive and hard to get, even if you could find one, you couldn't read it because you didn't speak Latin. Right? So they kept people in the dark. And you just, oh, that's what they said. I guess they'll do it. I'll give you some bucks. Yeah, I blew with the other. How much do you need? Right? Right? Oh, but again, these relics as well, because they still p- teach today, and they'll bring them out once in a while, different places around the world. If you look at the news, they, they supposedly have uh, actual supposed... Uh, Breast milk from Mary, right? In a, I'm not making this up, right? They get bones of certain apostles and, and certain people, a piece of the cross and all that stuff, and people, oh, people come out and flock, okay? So it's ironic that they had their initial split, but the Catholic Church is still doing it today. But anyway, so I digress. But let's move on. So, but that's what happened with Buddha, right? So he was against this, and basically, hey, this guy's worshiped, right? Statue, idolatry, what he can do. Now, let's take a look at, real quick at some of the differences. The writings of Buddha and other Buddhist teachers versus the Bible, Okay, Buddha, uh, his life was known only by texts dated centuries after his life, most of which strongly contradict each other. 
So they're not only contradictory that they base these beliefs on, but they're written centuries after he died. Hope they got it right, right? Versus the scripture, as we saw before, uh, speaking of Jesus' life, uh, much of the manuscripts were, were written within uh, just a few years within the actual event, etc., blah, blah, blah. So, so again, that's your difference there. Uh, their version of God, Southern Buddhism, he's irrelevant. Northern Buddhism, Buddhahood or enlightenment. Uh, Christianity, of course, is God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God is one. Uh, Jesus, they think he's just a great teacher who achieved enlightenment or what's called Buddhahood. Uh, one among many, he's not unique. Uh, he's just a great religious teacher whose teachings can be valuable today. Excuse me, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, he's both God and man. He died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's the only payment for the penalty of our sins. Uh, man, they believe that man's big uh, problem is that uh, you got one lifetime and you're composed of this. Here's your little pieces of you, skanda, okay, uh, or parts. Uh, and, but there's many lives of the parts. That's how you get around the eternal issue apparently. Uh, concepts of uh, anatta, no self denies existence of a self beyond the mental and physical attributes. The human condition is suffering caused by attachment to things, the craving uh, desires. Uh, that's where you get all these uh, sufferings because you desire. So you have to desire to get rid of the desire, but whatever, blah, blah. The uh, scripture says we're sinful by nature, therefore we're separated from God. And what's their version of salvation, if you will? The goal of life is to achieve nothing. That'll motivate you every day. How many of you guys are saying, hey, today I achieved my goal? I stayed in bed. <laughs> I got nothing done. <laughs> I just like, what? But that's nirvana, okay? Nothing to eliminate all desire. And of course, by following the Eightfold Path, which we saw is doomed, okay? Uh, and then, of course, salvation is grace through faith as a Christian. But real quick, a couple of the differences and we'll close. Uh, Buddhism teaches that life is suffering, that the only hope uh, is to cease to exist upon attaining nothingness, right? Well, what did Jesus teach? He taught that. Every person's life is meaningful. And then when we get saved, Ephesians 2.10, God saved us for what? To do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Something fantastic, splendid for him. Okay? And that through Jesus, we can have happiness now in him. Right? We can have peace in him now. Okay? And the ultimate goal is existence and eternity with God, with your personality in check. Okay? In contact. Okay? Uh, Buddhism makes no factual or empirical claims. Uh, one either accepts its uh, philosophical approach or not. No big deal. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. So what? Christianity, though, different. Rooted in history, evidence, scripture, and prophecy. And it does require you to make a decision. You can't just waffle forever and go, oh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. No, you, and guess what? Your eternal destiny is based upon that decision. Uh, Buddha never claimed to be divine, even though people worship him as such. Okay, and his death is considered the end of his story. However, Jesus uh, claimed to be God, and he proved it with his miracles and his resurrection, etc., blah, blah, blah. Another big issue is the difference between Christianity and Buddhism is the issue of sin. In Buddhism, what in the world do you do with your sin? What do you do? All right, where, where do you get atonement for your sin? How do you get absolved from guilt? All right, if you're trying to go through this, his version of karma, karma is impersonal. It, all right, it's amoral. It, it, uh, karma doesn't care one way or another because karma's not a person. So how can you reconcile? What are you reconciling with? You're not reconciling with the person you sinned against. You're not reconciling with deity because you don't even believe in deity. What do you do with sin that we all know you, we have, including the Buddhists, because that's what they're trying to achieve this whole eightfold path to escape this, ah, blown it. How do I get peace? And it's doomed, Okay. And basically, that sin in their, their version is not a big deal, or some would say even an illusion. But hello, sin is not an illusion. Okay? 
Uh, we know we've all sinned. Christianity is the only answer for sin. No sin goes unpunishment, but the punishment has already been satisfied by Jesus' work on the cross. Meditation, works, prayer, the eightfold path, the eighteenfold path, the eightyfold path, the nine thousand three hundred twenty-two path. No path other than the one path. Jesus Christ, His work on the cross, can absolve of sin. What do you do with sin? If you're a Buddhist, major, major uh, difference. Finally, it's only in Christianity that we can know that we're saved, where we're going to go for eternal destiny, right? What's going to happen when we take our last breath, okay? No matter, again, good works, no matter fervent meditation, you can meditate your legs off, right? You have no guarantee of nothing, hoping, groping. Very, very frustrating. Every works-based religion, and this is one of them, is an extremely frustrating existence. A lot of people who are in a works-based religions, including, as we'll see, Lord willing, someday, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, major, 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 major high statistics on alcoholism, drug abuse, and suicide. Why? Well, maybe it's just one more. No, maybe, maybe if I just do one more good deed. Well, what if you get... Okay, you know what? My goal is I'm going to somehow catalog 100,000 good deeds. And that's going to be my peace here. That's going to be my assurance here on earth. Well, what if you get there? It's 100,001. You never know. Only Christ satisfies 100%. Because it's a gift. These people, as we're going to see Lord willing next week, they don't have any of that. They have no assurance. And they, like us, they have a problem with suffering. They don't want to suffer. And you and I have the privilege of telling them how they can be absolved from the eternal suffering in a place called hell. But how even though we live currently in a world of suffering, through Jesus, a personal relationship with a real loving God, we can have peace in the midst of our suffering only through him. Major, major important way to witness to a Buddhism. So Lord willing, we're going to get into that next week. Uh, basically, how to witness, some things to uh, think about and consider as we witness to a Buddhist, hopefully. Uh, but also we'll probably get into our aspect of the martial arts uh, and the dangers of that next week as well. And then probably the big finale, we'll finish it up before we move on to New Age, uh, is going to be a whole study just on Star Wars and the Jedi churches that are popping up all over the planet. That's pretty wild. So it's become a new religion. Let's go ahead. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. 
Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
Uh, it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.